to Direct Impact, where we discuss the various ways our mental health and quality of life intersect. I'm your host, Andrea Epstein, licensed professional counselor, master's addictions counselor, and certified sex therapist. Think of our time together as focused self-reflection mixed with insight, passion, and empowerment. Now, take a deep breath. Now let's dive in and see what impacts you today. It's Andrea Epstein with Direct Impact, and I just wanted to welcome you for another episode. Today, we are going to talk about the direct impact on community, community at large, the places that we live, where we work, where we love, and where we thrive, and where we hope to grow. As always, we are talking about the direct impact on the communities in which we live, and where does mental health show up in that community? Where does treatment for mental health and substance abuse and chemical dependency and those needs show up in the community? What are we doing well and what do we need to improve? What are our strengths and weaknesses? So thanks for showing up. We're going to dive right in. So community, to me, we've looked up a few definitions of community, none of which I liked, which is no big surprise to anybody in this room. But what I believe community is, is a shared experience with multiple generations coming together with similar attitudes and goals in mind. So in this community, everybody to some degree of separation is impacted by what one another does. So community becomes this cohort that is so important to the way that we thrive and experience the world around us. So I talk a lot about community. What do we do for our community? What are we contributing? What are we creating? Are we contributing or are we just consuming? How do we show up in our communities just makes a big difference to the lives that we live. And that sends out this humongous ripple effect and everybody winds up around us being impacted in either a positive or a negative way by the way we show up to live our lives. So that is community to me. People are the glue that hold a community together. And so it just becomes huge when we're talking about mental health and addictions and how does that impact community at large? Where do we show up to make sure that people are getting the care, the love, the support, the compassion that they need and deserve? Yes, for the sick, for the diseased, for the diseased, for you know, the hungry, but also for the people who are struggling mentally and emotionally, physiologically, and all those ways. We want to take care of the whole person. So the question really is, since we are all so impacted by each other, how are we showing up to support one another? Community has always been important to me. I grew up in a very big, small town called Savannah, Georgia. Absolutely love everything about it. I remember when I would come back from college, I would roll my windows down on my Explorer and drive past the marsh during low tide just so I could smell that low tide smell, which stinks for everybody else. But when I would come back, 
I just had to smell that. I had to take it in. I wanted to take in the low country and the marshlands. And as soon as you would exit off of the highway and come downtown on Liberty Street in Savannah, and you would see all those oak trees and all of the Spanish moss hanging down, it is gorgeous. It's ghostly. (laughs) It's timeless. It's just something to be seen and taken in. And I could never imagine living anywhere else. Yes, I went away for my schooling and my education, but I always dreamed of having a family here and having a practice here. So when I did receive my master's, came back to Savannah to be married and start a home. This is where my practice grew and developed. And so I have been privy to the ins and the outs of the local community, but just in research and in lots of trainings and traveling and collaboration with, well, frankly, with colleagues all over the world, (laughs) Canada, Australia, Europe, France, different places, I have been able to get a snapshot at least of other communities and how they show up and for the people in need who are struggling with mental illness, with chronic mental illness, traumatic stress, you know, how do they respond to their wounded and what do they have available for people who are struggling with chemical dependency, behavioral addictions? What do they do in the prison system? How are they helping people who are offenders, either sexual offenders or offenders of you know domestic violence, things of that nature? So how are they responding in their communities? So I've got, had this great opportunity to collaborate with people in different cities, counties, states, and countries. So I've had this amazing feedback. So I'd like to share that with you guys as we dive into the strengths in my local community, but also communities at large um, all over the country and world. And also, we're going to look at the weaknesses and areas of improvement. So when I came back to Savannah and began my practice, I started off in addiction recovery and absolutely loved it. So I had the opportunity to learn about the levels of care that we have in the United States. And the breakdown of that is we've got our level three programming of inpatient. We have residential opportunities. We have PHP, which stands for partial hospitalization. And then we have a step down to IOP, which is a level 2.1. And then we step down to outpatient. And I love the levels of care. I've had a lot of success with it. I think what I have found is that there are a lot of barriers, though, to people being able to establish sobriety, move successfully into recovery, and to be supported in their long-term recovery. And there's a lot of breakdowns there. It's not just the level of care system, but that is definitely something that's, you know, I, I love it. I love that there's different intensities in which to approach a disease, a very progressive and pervasive thing. So we catch it and treat it at the appropriate level. We want to have good outcomes. But, you know, when we've been doing the same thing for 20, 30 plus years, however long it's been, and we know for sure that, 
you know, if a stimulant-dependent individual responds much better to 10 weeks in IOP as opposed to eight weeks, why are we still doing eight weeks? You know, it's time to revisit things. Just go back, revisit, revise. Let's see what we can do to continue to improve the experiences for people seeking help and treatment. So I've had the opportunity there. And then also in mental health, I like so many practitioners at some point, (laughs) I started to feel like there is a little bit of a revolving door that there are some systems in play that take people just so far. And then kind of like, it's not just like they subtly let go of their hand. It's like they push them over a cliff. (laughs) You know, they take them so far and then drop them. And I have a real problem with that. I I feel like that is one of our weaknesses. We can do a lot better as a community, as a nation, as a world of making sure that the systems we have in place are actually going to support people for the long haul. I mean, I look at levels of care. I look at treatment. I look at the therapeutic process, all of this as you want to give people the therapeutic dose, the right dose at the right time, and you want to be able to continue that very slowly tapering off until they are flying on their own and they don't look back, okay? But you want to carry them through. And there are a lot of systems that really do appear to be in place that take people just to the edge and then leave them there. And it really sets them up for a slippery slope to relapse or falling back into old patterns of behavior, things like that. So I think we, we need to look at not just the whole treatment setup and what our recommendations are for initial care and continuing care, but I think we also need to take a look at the insurance piece. We need to take a look at what are we providing? Yes. But how long are we able to provide it to? How are we able to continue to fund this? Are the people able to fund it for themselves? I really do believe they can. I've seen it happen in in my practice, you know, we've been able to put a very unique system in place where everybody funds their own program, whether they're doing that through their own time and talents or financial resources. But we found that we do just fine without utilizing insurance, working with our party payers and avoiding all the red tape. We've been able to do fine. We believe that the people can be active participants in their recovery process. We believe there's always a, a better way. But I just, I want all of us to just be courageous and have these talks and clinicians get together. You know, I hear clients talking all of the time about their barriers. What are the barriers to their resources? What are the barriers? Why can't they access it? And if they can't access, why are they not maintaining long-term recovery? So I just, I feel like having being brave enough to have that discussion and being brave enough to go up against the bigger system at play that is keeping people stuck and is causing this revolving door which is not good for the community but it's also expensive (laughs) that's not good um i mean you continue to fund someone's program instead of just sticking with them for the amount of time for them to be successful the first time that's not cost effective so when i look at community i look at 
collaborate. I think of collaboration. I think of discussions. I think of let's a coming together, a reworking of systems, looking at what's broken, you know, trying new things, being brave enough to confront things that are at play that knowingly cause barriers like red tape and finances and resources. And like, it it should not only be the rich people who can afford treatment. We want everybody to be able to be healthy and happy and thriving, contributing members of their community. That is the goal that we need to continue to work towards. The saying is, I mean, it's it's progress. It's not progress doesn't have a destination. <laughs> I mean, we will not know. We will never be done revisiting this. It is so important, though, that we keep having this tough discussion about like, where are we lacking in our communities? Where are we lacking? What are we missing? I'll tell you in my neck of the woods. I mean, it is really hard to access good detox and long-term care half of the time or even like inpatient care because half of the time their insurance is only going to cover about half of what we know they need. And so oftentimes when insurance stops, the client stops. And even if they did complete the whole program, that whole program has proven not to be long enough in some cases. So, you know, you can you, you can catch the picture. The picture that I'm painting is the revolving doors that people aren't set up for long-term success initially, which means that we're not good stewards of our resources, of our counselors, of our time, of our energy, of our money. We need to be good stewards of everything that has been provided for us. We've got so much abundance and we are not using it well in this field and in many fields. I'm just speaking about the field of mental health and addiction recovery, but there is a lot of waste. And I think we need to have those courageous conversations, you know, in truth and love about what's going on, what we see and how we can best fix these things. We are creative, amazing human beings, clients, counselors, community, all of us can come together to make this work. And I feel that's a big part of what we talk about on this podcast. So I just wanted to do a a segment on community, the strengths and the weaknesses. I think I've talked quite a bit about some of the weaknesses, the barriers, the lack of access, but I also want to go into the strengths. And some of this isn't, (laughs) I'll just say right off, the people that I have worked with, that I have collaborated with, that my colleagues, my counselors, my interns, the university partners, I will tell you that is a strength. And I am very optimistic about the future of this field. Anybody out there listening, I really do want to say like help is on the way. You have these beautiful, wonderful, amazing collaborative, compassionate, caring, kind minds who want to make this work and can see clearly that, you know, there's a lot of improvement to be made. And I think there's a willingness to really dive into it and kind of like challenge the systems that are clearly broken and need to be improved. So help is on the way. A lot of strength in the lovely, compassionate minds that are serving in this field all over in your local community, in your state, 
in your country, in this world, the people who get into this field, they generally get into it for the right reason. And it is to help and to serve their community and to be good stewards of their time, their education, their talent. And and I think we can all do a better job of being better steward of the resources. And so I know we're a big proponent of that here at my nonprofit, Hugs, Heads Up Guidance Services. That's a, a big part of our mission, vision, and philosophy is how to be a good steward of the client's resources and the communities. So let's all just continue to think outside of the box. And I just thank you all for listening and for caring and for all the good work that you're doing in your community. And just remember, the ripple effect is huge. Every positive act, every good deed, it impacts many. So thanks for showing up, guys. Have a good day. Do you feel preoccupied, confused, or embarrassed about an unwanted behavior? Do you prioritize pornography, food, finances, gambling, toxic people, and or chemicals over your primary responsibilities? Well, at Resolve Strategies in Savannah, Georgia, our clinical counselors offer evidence-based approaches to take you from discovery to recovery. To learn more about Resolve Strategies, visit www.resolvestrategiesinc.com and take our free quiz, Five Defense Mechanisms That Might Keep You in the Dark. Thank you for dropping in. Snaps to you because you have made a direct impact by listening to this podcast. Make sure to follow us on social media and stay tuned every week for a new episode of Direct Impact with Andrea Epstein.